everyone. Welcome to the Women Wide for Wellness podcast presented by Holistic Icon. I'm your host, Dr. Nisha Shalom. You may be thinking, does the world need yet another podcast? As a physician in practice, I have been intrigued by the fact that despite our education, despite the abundance of information and advancements in a country like ours, women struggle for decades with troubling symptoms to seek help, or even when they seek help, suffer for years before they can get a resolution. It is my obsession to understand one, this culture. Number two, understand how we can create health and move away from this preoccupation of diagnosing and managing disease. Therefore, one of my passions is to teach both my patients and people who come in contact with us as it helps me empower myself and them with the knowledge that our health is probably the one asset we all can control. This control begins with knowing all that has been known about it. It is not simply about knowing a disease and considering the right medications, which has been presented today as our only option, as it certainly might be the only option if we choose to do nothing different. But to truly live fulfilling lives, we need to know how to tap into our innate nature to heal. When it comes to health, there is a finish line and there is a timeline to get to it. We help you get there with a different way of thinking. If this podcast has helped you or opened your eyes to a different path, please take time to leave a positive review. And if you felt it fell short somehow, let us know how we can improve it. Let's get on to today's podcast. Hey everyone, Dr. Shalom. Welcome to our podcast and today is going to be an education about the gut. I want to apologize because we were going to have a guest, um, somebody who really works on the gut. Unfortunately, due to a family emergency, we could not have him today, but we will do so once things have settled down. So what I'm going to do is just lay the basic framework of helping you understand how is your gut related and how does it help with your health wellness as well as disease process so i've titled this podcast the gut as your second brain and this is something that's very well known um, in the functional medical world that your gut is your second brain so let's begin by defining what is the gut the gastrointestinal tract starts from your mouth all the way up to the anus but the portion that we talk about the gut is a small and large intestine this is the area where the food is already coming down, um, broken down completely into its smaller bits so we can absorb the nutrients and the waste products get eliminated. However, we think about the gut as simply a digestive organ in the traditional medical world, but we know more and more about it now where it's an active participant in the creation of our health as well as a default in our disease process. And I will get into the details of how it does this. So I'm going to use a few words and I'm going to define these two uh, few words. I have a few notes, so you'll find that my eyes shift towards the notes occasionally. Now, the gut is not simply about digestion. It hosts in it trillions of what we call microorganisms. Microorganisms are living beings that are very tiny that we have to look for them under the microscope. They're collectively called the human microbiome because they live in us, they're called the human microbiome. Now, the microbiota with metagenomics, the word metagenomics in the microbiota is the genes 
that these organisms contribute towards the human cells. And the microbiota with metabolomics is the metabolic processes they contribute or their their role in the metabolic processes in and in certain hormones in our body. So the microbiota as is general, the word microbiota is the organisms which include bacteria, viruses, fungus, protozoa. The microbiome are a collection of genes provided by these uh, bacteria. That's what I'm going to use the microbiota, microbiome, but mostly we talk about the microbiome. So as we learn a little more about these um, bacteria, we have come to, uh, we're coming slowly to the conclusion that they're very essential in our health process. Why are they very important? Number one, they themselves, by by itself, the bacteria stimulates certain metabolic processes. Number two, the food that they digest, the byproducts of the food that they digest, or even the breakdown of the enzymes or bile salts, stimulate certain hormones which affect our metabolic processes. Number three, they directly connect your gut to the brain and therefore kind of handle your hunger and fullness, the satiety, and whether you need to be eating more. So that connection, if that there's a breakdown in that connection, you know there's going to be a breakdown in your relationship to food. So I'm going to break this apart so you can understand this a little better. So here are some fun facts about the gut bacteria. Number one, the weight of the brain is the same as the weight of the bacteria that we have in our gut. I want you to understand that once more. The weight of the brain is the same as the weight of the bacteria in our gut. And actually, our bacteria in our gut communicates with our brain. Number two, they carry greater than 100 times more genes than we have in our own cells. They affect our immune system, the hormones, and our brain through a very complex series of events. And why is that important? Those of us who have immune problems like autoimmune disorders, it is extremely important to focus on your gut. In this particular podcast, I'm going to focus more on the hormones because a lot of the reasons people reach out to a functional medical practice is because they've tried everything under the sun in terms of trying to lose weight. Their hormones, they have tried diet, they've tried exercise, but they can get rid of their weight. The gut hormones are very crucial for the management of weight. That's not what they're designed to do, but that's how the the, uh, imbalance in the gut bacteria leads to an imbalance in our weight. So the gut bacteria, the way you would want to look at it is they're not simply parasites. They're not something that you want to get rid of, but they actually live in a symbiotic relationship and they have a specific job to do. So it's very important. It's our duty to take care of them. If you take care of them and keep the good ones around, it's going to be of benefit to you. In fact, you can recreate your health. So let's look at um, how they help with our um, metabolic rate. It actually helps because they help with the production of certain hormones. Where do these hormones come from? Is it like from the rest of our endocrine gland? Actually, The largest endocrine gland in our body, it's not your brain, not your hypothalamus, not your pituitary, not your pancreas, it's actually the gut. The gut, if you see, 
is lined with cells. These cells are called epithelial cells. Tucked in between these epithelial cells is what we call the enteroendocrine cells. So they are cells that produce hormones, but they're present in the small intestine. So I find this information so fascinating. The more you read about it, the more you get to know about it, it's so fascinating how the body is designed. Why? Because the thing that you can fix is so easily accessible. Think about it again. The gut microbiome, which is your bacteria and their genes and their byproducts, they're as heavy as our brain, number one. They're connected to the brain. Number two, the gut is the largest endocrine gland, which means it produces hormones that actually impact our well-being. Number three, the genetic material that we have in us is mostly coming from the gut, which means if you want to change your genes, you just change the population of your gut bacteria. How cool is that? So I wanted you to understand that. It's so fascinating that something that we can fix so easily um, is so accessible to us, right? So this is how it all plays out. Within the lining of the gut, and when I say the gut, I mean the small intestines and the large intestines, these cells are present, which are called the enteroendocrine um, cells, and they are alphabetically named. They're called the I cells, K cells, L cells, and EC cells. The stomach acid actually kills all the bacteria that we don't want. When we, when we don't have enough stomach acid, then you can have the wrong kind of bacteria going into the small intestine. That's when we call it dysbiosis, and that can cause disease process. That's why I'm not a big fan of continuing to take antacids for a very long time. You really want your acid uh, so all the bad bacteria gets killed. The rest of the food that's broken down goes down to the small intestines. Once they reach the uh, small intestine, the different cells, the endocrine cells, begin to produce certain hormones. One of those cells is called EC cells, enterochromaffin cells, and they produce, they are the largest contributor of the hormone called serotonin. It's actually a neurotransmitter, it's called serotonin. How do you remember uh, serotonin? Remember, Sarah wakes you up. Serotonin becomes melatonin. Serol or serotonin wakes you up, gives you that mood, the upbeat mood. Um, and that's, that's what we try to do when we try to treat for depression is trying to increase the serotonin. Serotonin becomes melatonin at night in the brain and Mel puts you to sleep. So Sarah wakes you up, Mel puts you to sleep. They all come from the tryptophan. Now the enterochromaffin cells produce 95% of the serotonin in our body. How do they get stimulated? How do they um, actually um, help us with uh, production of serotonin? The type of bacteria you have in your gut can produce more serotonin, the type of food you eat. In fact, we have found that when you shift the gut bacteria, you shift the mood of the person. Now, for example, if you're struggling with anxiety and depression and you take an antibiotic, I've known some patients to come and tell me my anxiety got better when I was getting treated for my sinus infection. It's because we're changing the population of the gut bacteria. Now, what does serotonin actually do? It increases the motility. That means you, if it's too much, you're going to have diarrhea. So when, in many ways, when you um, try to uh, get on an antidepressant, bowel movements can actually change. Number two, it decreases your metabolic rate. Very important. 
Why do we gain weight on antidepressants? Because we're trying to increase serotonin and it actually decreases your metabolic rate. Number three, it affects our blood sugar levels. It actually causes the sugars to go high, which is why a lot of times we say the long-term use of antidepressants can cause metabolic syndrome or increase in your blood sugar. So you see how you can connect these things? The gut bacteria stimulate the production of serotonin from this enterochromaffin cells. And the serotonin, in turn, not only affects the motility, the movement of the gut, but your mood as well as your metabolic rate and the sugar levels. So it's important to understand these happy hormones. We want to have them in the normal state, when you overstimulate them, yeah, you're creating a shift in your mood, but in many ways, you're also creating a shift in how the bowels move, your metabolic rate, and then the weight gain actually feeds into your depression. So antidepressants, in my opinion, should be used short-term. They're very useful when you're depressed, but long-term use actually causes a lot of health issues, like with any disease management. I hope I mean, this kind of makes you understand why on an antidepressant you gain weight and why sometimes your sugar gets affected. So let's come to the other hormones that actually affect your weight and your sugar. And they are, like when you look at the enterochromaffin cells, I told you they're labeled as I, K, L, and E, C. Now the L cells are very active and they produce two hormones, GLP-1 and PYY. And the reason I'm giving you all of these information is it's very important to understand this, how we have actually manufactured or developed drugs that can affect these um, hormones and why it affects your metabolic rate and your sugar levels. So GLP-1 is called glucagon-like peptide 1. So I'll repeat that, glucagon-like peptide 1. And what it is, is it's an incredible hormone. That means it's produced by in the intestines. The GLP-1, the work it does is it regulates your blood sugar. In other words, it reduces another hormone called glucagon, which increases your sugar. So it kind of keeps the sugar stable by decreasing this glucagon, increases the activity of insulin. So in many ways, stabilizes your blood sugar. So what did we do? We try to develop a drug that will increase the GLP-1, which we can use in type 2 diabetics. And what are those drugs? An example is Bayera. Victoza, Trulicity, and the new one that I keep listening to this ad on TV is O for Ozempic, right? Um, so what is this hormone um, actually and how these drugs work is they decrease glucose by number one, decreasing the travel time, how the food gets emptied. And that's why people who take these drugs like Victoza, Trulicity, Ozempic actually lose weight because you feel full much faster. Early satiety is noted. Number two, they decrease the blood glucose by decreasing that glucagon. Now, how does the gut bacteria help with this? The food that we eat gets broken down into what we call as short-chain fatty acid. That is SCFA. And there are three types of fatty acids, butyrate, propionate, and acetate. Now, the GLP-1 is produced in response to these short-chain fatty acids. So if the gut bacteria digest and produce enough of the butyrate, propionate, and acetate, you can actually produce enough of GLP-1, which means you can actually have a better control of your blood sugar. 
They are also produced by the bacteria itself. The bacteria have certain parts like the flagella, it's like the wings of the bacteria and the membrane of the bacteria called LPS, lipopolysaccharides. These also produce or increase the production of GLP-1. So you can see the type of bacteria, the food that you eat and how it gets digested, all of these will increase the production of GLP-1, which means affects your blood sugar control as well as your weight. And you want to get this done naturally. When you do the, with the drugs, the drugs are great, but you know, a lot of these drugs, if you look at the side effect, they'll say if you have medullary uh, cancer of the thyroid don't take these we don't know how they affect the production of these cancer we've not seen it in human beings but got to be cautious when you're taking them long term so the quicker way is get your blood sugar controlled with drugs but then work on revamping your gut and creating health so diabetes is no longer a problem so the other hormone, there are two more hormones that affect your sugar. And this, so this podcast really will help a lot of diabetics who want to understand how just shifting your gut bacteria can help you control your blood sugars. But the other hormone that the enteroendocrine uh, um, cells, that's the cells that line the uh, gut and produce hormones, affect our sugar is called PYY, peptide tyrosine tyrosine. Now, peptide tyrosine tyrosine or PYY affects your brain. It actually goes to the brain when food enters into the small intestine and tells the brain, hey, we have enough food, shut out the hunger. And if that communication is broken, you're one of those who's hungry all the time. Like every hour you want to eat some. How do we affect uh, the hormone levels? Once again, changing the food that we eat, the short-chain fatty acids, which is the breakdown product of the food when the bacteria work on your food. That's where the bacteria is very important. It's not the digestive process that causes the short-chain fatty acids. It's the type of bacteria. So the better the short-chain fatty acids, the good levels will affect your hormones. Do you see how it works? The food you eat, the type of bacteria, the end product of the food that is eaten by the bacteria. All of these affect your hormones. And number two, also the bile acids, bile salts, which come from your gallbladder, which comes in response to fat, fat in the meals, also affect the production of this PYY hormone. Now, the other hormone that affects your sugar is called GIP. I call it GIP. I don't know what it's called. Normally, we call it gastric inhibitory peptide, or I call it GIP or GIP. So let's call it GIP for this particular podcast. GIP is broken down. Like GIP, the GIP is produced by these cells, right? And now because it's a hormone, it gets quickly cleared out. And the vacuum that clears it is another enzyme. It's called DPP4. I'll tell you the reason why I'm getting into so much of detail. DPP4 is dipeptidyl peptidase 4. Very important is because in diabetics, we have developed drugs that will actually inhibit this enzyme, that inhibit the vacuum cleaner. So this uh, hormone, the GIP, stays longer. Why do we want the GIP to stay longer? Because it again affects our blood sugar, helps us control the blood sugar by increasing the production of insulin. So what... Uh, just for you to understand, and especially if you're a diabetic, you will be familiar with these drugs. Genuvia. Genuvia is that drug that will inhibit the vacuum cleaner, the DPP4. Glavis. Um, Onglyza. 
And the very new one that they um, advertise very much, it's called Trijanta. They all affect the DPP4, which is the vacuum cleaner that takes away the jet. Therefore, they stop the vacuuming of this jet and the gastric inhibitory peptide or jip goes higher, your insulin goes higher, your sugar goes lower. But this particular hormone, jip also increases the production or, or rather the storage of fat in our fat cells. So sometimes, you know, it can cause, too much of it can cause actually a little weight gain. So in type 2 diabetics, if there is a hormone, um, uh, the regulation of your blood sugars, that's why we use Genuvia, Bayera, Victoza, and all of these things, because we're trying to control the blood sugar by controlling these hormones. Instead, a more natural way is just change the type of bacteria in your gut and have better production of these hormones and better control of your blood sugars. I know it sounds very simple, but it's actually very, you have to do it very systematically, which I will explain to you at the end of this podcast. So you can see the three main things that affect the hormones uh, and the weight of the body are number one, the byproducts of the digestion of the food by our bacteria, which is the short chain fatty acids. Number two, the type of bacteria that we have. Number three, the most important is the diversity of the bacteria. Now, there is another hormone that's produced in the gut. It's called cholecystokinin, which is actually in response to fat. We don't know much about how it interacts with the gut bacteria, but I think the main hormones that we focus on is serotonin, the GLP-1, the PYY, and GIP. And those are really affected by the type of bacteria, the variety of your bacteria, and the type of food you eat. So changing the type of food you eat will change the uh, type of uh, bacteria you have. And increasing the variety of the food you eat will also give you a diverse population of the bacteria. Now, what are the things that we do are, uh, that can affect this population? How do we do this? The most important we all talk about is protein, fat, and carbohydrates. One thing that's very important that we have to talk about and we don't talk about enough is fiber. I'm not talking about um, psyllium husk, metamucil, or um, Miralax. We're really talking about natural fiber that's present in the plants, fruits and vegetables. A good amount of those will actually help us. Well, how does it help us? Those of you who struggle with immune problems, autoimmunity. I have Hashimoto's. It's a huge part of how, unfortunately, we... Um, address these autoimmune conditions in traditional medicine, we address the end organ. So somebody goes with Hashimoto's to a traditional doctor, they just put on thyroid medicine. Somebody with lupus or rheumatoid arthritis get put on medicines to uh, reduce their inflammation in the joints. Instead, we should look at the immune function. How do you change the immune function? You change the health of the gut. How do you change the health of the gut? You change the bacteria that is present in the gut. How do you change the bacteria that's present in the gut? You change the type of food you eat. So having said all of that, very important to understand what are the things that we can do. Number one, have a lot of fiber. Number two, please avoid natural sweetness. Why? Most of us go on these diet products, diet Coke, diet yogurt, uh, sugar-free yogurt, but it's still sweet. Something that's sugar-free, they made it sweet by adding natural sweeteners. The natural sweeteners tend to shift 
the population of the gut bacteria and create more of the gut bacteria that slow down our metabolic rate and increase our weight and actually affect our sugar worse. So diabetics, please stop having these diet products. Doesn't mean you have to go and have sugar. We just have to change the gut bacteria. So Splenda and Swedenlow, all of these have actually been shown to change the population of the gut bacteria to the point that we actually gain more weight. Number three is antibiotics. It's again something that I will say as a public service announcement. Don't try to get an antibiotic for every colds that you have, every urinary tract infection that you have. Yes, antibiotics are life-saving drugs when you have a life-threatening infection, but not every cold needs an antibiotic. Not every urinary tract uh, infection, sometimes cystitis doesn't even need an antibiotic. Try to treat them by other methods and don't get on too many antibiotics too frequently. And I do understand some of us have infections and do need it. But once again, we have to work on restoring your gut after you've had this kind of a course of antibiotics for a serious infection. Xenobiotics are active um, products that interfere with our hormones um, the scene in our environment, like um, chemicals that we get exposed to in our makeup or uh, lining up, covering the carpet, the walls, um, the uh, plastics which we heat our food, the uh, cans which we take our food out of. These are all chemicals that can actually disrupt our hormones. And in this the price we pay to have a very convenient modern life is that we get exposed to all of these chemicals. Therefore, focus and creation of health is something that you have to do on a regular basis. It's not something that you focus on once you have a disease process, which is what sadly we all are doing. And many of us go to doctors thinking going to the doctor means you're taking care of your health. No, going to the doctor means you're trying to um, get your disease diagnosed early. They do screening studies to diagnose your disease early so you don't have um, a, an advanced stage of the disease. Taking care of a health, your health is a daily uh, I would say a daily habit you have to cultivate. Just like taking care of your wealth is a daily habit you have to cultivate. So it's very important to understand um, gut health is something that we have access to every day. Every time you eat, you're affecting your gut health. So what you eat is affecting your gut health. The last one that affects our gut health is just drugs that we take. For instance, I've spoken about metformin. Metformin causes diarrhea because it affects the population of the gut. Similarly, chemotherapeutic drugs, antibiotics. A lot of these drugs that we take for blood pressure actually changes the population in our gut. That's why sometimes you start off with just high blood pressure as your problem and soon develop cholesterol and then diabetes. We do not really understand fully well what these medicines do besides what we are giving them for. So when I give a blood pressure medicine, I'm looking at blood pressure control, but I don't know what it's doing to your gut. So that's why chronic management of disease, I think, is in many ways, I've heard somebody say, it's a disservice to mankind. Diseases have to be managed. You do need drugs when you have an acute problem, but when you think that drugs are the only solution to your problem, we do you a disservice. Creation of health is a completely different track. You need to be open to creation of health. Your doctor needs to know how to help you create new health. And one way to start is 
focusing on the gut. So how do we do it from a functional medical standpoint? Number one, we assess what is the state of your gut now. And that's what we do with checking the bowel movements. The stool test is very important. The next part is we try to remove certain offending foods from your um, eating for a few days. During that process, we try to repair the gut using supplements or um, certain, certain types of foods or certain types of nutraceuticals. Once we do that, we kind of reassess your symptoms. We introduce certain these certain of these foods and you may not be able to tolerate some of them and from there we give you a more sustainable diet so it's a very systematic process of rebuilding your gut bacteria your gut lining remember if you don't have the right kind of food what happens is the gut bacteria that's there starts eating into the walls of your intestine and causes symptoms which we get diagnosed as irritable bowel or inflammatory bowel disorders so we are really have to take a very good look at your gut health, your symptoms, and try to change it in a very systematic way. So those of you who get this advice from the doctor where after you get your gallbladder removed and you're told, oh yeah, go ahead and eat whatever you want, that's probably not a very wise advice. What you did to get you into trouble is not what you should go back to. Think of it this way, you applied for bankruptcy, you're in a lot of debt. You cannot go back to living your way alive in the same way you created this debt situation, right? You have to change certain habits. Same thing with health. Whether you have a cancer, whether you have an autoimmune condition, whether you have a gallbladder removed or a diverticulitis attack, don't take the advice that says, go ahead and eat whatever you want. Take a step back, look at what can you change? How can I change the health of my gut? How can I change the health of my bacteria? Even if you have no gut symptoms, some people say, you know, I just have a bowel movement every day, I'm fine, till actually they come to a program like ours and suddenly they realize, I didn't realize I feel so good. I don't have the bloating sensation. I have more than one bowel movement a day. I actually have no energy. All of this is because we rebuild your gut health. So. I cannot emphasize enough why the gut is called the second brain. Not only is it your second brain, it actually is the brain that you can act, you can physically change. It's easy to change it by just shifting the population of your bacteria, shifting the kind of food you eat. So once again, I want you to understand what you eat matters in your health or your disease process. I hope this information has been useful. And as always, please make sure you go to iTunes, download this podcast, share it with everybody you know and anybody who you think will be benefited by it. And if you want to connect with our practice, go on to our webpage, which is holisticicon.com. Schedule your 15-minute free consultation. Let's see if we are a good fit for each other. Let me tell you, once you get your health back, you pretty much have everything back because if your gut works, your brain works, right? And when your brain works, you work, your life works. So once again, thank you so much for listening to our podcast and um, please share this with everyone and give us a review if you feel this information was useful. I'm Dr. Shalom, founder of Holistic and Integrative Center of Novi, and we will see you in a couple of weeks with our next podcast. Take care. Already then, if you've listened to this podcast fully, I would like to hope you've gained some new knowledge, a different way of thinking, 
and have benefited from it. If so, would you please do me a favor and share this with your family and friends? I do, however, want to mention that nothing that is stated in this podcast or written in the show notes should be construed as medical advice. We would like you as an individual to seek your medical advice from your specific provider. Our goal has all along been to dig into some existing truths, try and make it simple, so we all have a better understanding of our options out there to live fulfilling lives. It may be also prudent for me to mention the obvious here that no doctor-patient relationship was ever formed. In closing, I am grateful that you joined us and please do not forget to leave a review or share this info. Signing off till next time, I'm your host, Dr. Nisha Chalam.